wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mowed the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthold, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion 20-17, to Robbie. They got us again. <laughs> they got us again. For the second time in five years, we uh, we got downed in, in their stadium, and it's just terrible. It really, it really is, man. Try to give us a cheers here. Um, well, this one's this one's tough. Um, let's make this cheers to separating the wheat from the chafe, and uh, the it's this is where the hardcore fans already are coming out versus uh, you know. Any bandwagoners are already gone, and we're one game into the season. But uh, no, I kid. Tough loss, tough on the team, um, and uh, feel bad for them. If it wasn't bad enough, then they got a bunch of their uh, their shit stolen uh, in the locker room afterwards. But overall, it was a rough watch. Uh, so let's just commiserate together and uh, and hope for better times ahead. Uh, we got a big slate. Ahead of us, 11 more games to go, and hopefully more than 11 games. We'll find out uh, here pretty quickly if they can uh, turn things around or not. Yeah, man. Cheers to the rest of the season. Let's start with that locker room theft. Uh, That was unfortunate, and you're right. Insult to injury, indeed. Witt commented on it a little bit. Coach commented on it a little bit. I, a lot of people are talking about how this is going to lead to the end of the series, that Witt's going to use this as an excuse to get out of it or maybe at least get out of the games in Norfolk. I, I think Tally said this on Twitter, like, you can't cancel it now. Oh, we no. just got our teeth kicked in. Like, that's not me. Well, they beat us by a slim margin, but, like, they beat us, right? And yeah. they've done it twice now. So we we got to beat them in Norfolk before we can cancel this thing. No, otherwise it'll be a complete take your ball and go home type moment. And although he could use the theft in the locker room, I like that move. Let's like, (laughs) yeah, let's really just pin it on. Listen, we can't go there and play. Our athlete stuff is not safe in the locker room. They obviously can't protect it. So, you know, we'll have to cancel it because of that. Or could you move it to like a stadium in Richmond or something? Yeah. Maybe let's like move it to like one of the minor league baseball stadiums and like <laughs> right, go, go, right, like a yeah. one of those classics, right, in a weird stadium. Yeah, where they like paint it on and you can still see the dirt and you know <laughs> it changes. <laughs> That'd be perfect. We're live from the Richmond Squirrels <laughs> venue or whatever the, the baseball team is there. I like that. I like that. Um. So let's get into some of these news and notes and a bigger picture thing before we get to what happened in Norfolk the other night. 
The playoff is expanding to 12 teams. Now, this could be as soon as 2024, but it is guaranteed by 2026. And these things have a way of working themselves out to be pushed up, correct? Yes. So, well, the the college playoffs is expanding again. It's already expanded to 12, and then that got scuttled um, and just went on <laughs> the back true. burn. And now it's expanding to 12 again. Uh, right. I have a feeling it'll happen sooner than that now that it's definitive. Um, I mean, there's still a chance that the SEC uh, or the Big Ten could come out and kind of raise a stink about this because and make it all you know, at-large bids or something like that to try and get more teams in or something along those lines. Uh, who knows? But now yeah. it looks like we're full go. And the cool thing was it looks like it's going to be a, a neat format, like six a higher, highest-ranked conference champions and then six at-large teams. So say you've got a conference champion in the ACC or the Pac-12 or even the Big Ten that happens to be 8-4 and four or something, yep. uh, and they're behind the Sun Belt or behind the American – that they might get left out, right? Yeah. So it, that's kind of a cool way to do it. And you know, a lot of the at-large teams are going to be SEC teams. They're going to be your Ohio States and your Michigans and bigger brands. But uh, but nevertheless, I think it's kind of a cool format. The AP poll, uh, let's just go over that real quickly. Bama's one, Georgia number two. Now, I thought because of the way they dominated Oregon that they would have come in number one. Mm-hmm. And the, with the way Ohio State beat Notre Dame and kind of made it a little bit more of a lead at the end of that game that they might be moving up, but they're not Ohio state's three Michigan's four Clemson is at number five, the rest of the ACC Miami at 15 Pitt at 17 after their big win over West Virginia, NC state down five spots to 18 after narrowly escaping against ECU and wake is at number 23. So we still got a bunch of ACC teams in the top 25. They're kind of, towards that back 10 spots, but um, it's still good for the conference to have that many teams ranked. What did you think of the games in general this past weekend? What did you enjoy? I was very surprised that Georgia just absolutely steamrolled Oregon. I mean, that that was incredible. Um, Utah lost, which sucked. Yeah. Utes uh, lost the close one against... I don't know who wrote roots for Florida, but I'm not, I'm not fans of them. Um, so that, that, there was a reason that line was so small, right? We talked about how stinky it was and yep. it, it came to fruition. Florida's up there in the rankings now. Yeah. Pitt WVU was kind of crazy. I actually got eyes on that. A lot of that game. Um, that was a cool game. That was, um, that was entertaining and they, man, that, that got chippy. Um, as we expected, they hadn't played in about 11 years in that rivalry. That rivalry goes back. My wife said, you know, it's not really a rivalry. It's, it hasn't been around for 11 years. They've played like almost 100 times, I think it yeah. is, since um, the 1890s. So it goes way back. Uh, it's a crime that the, it was away for so long. And the same thing with the Black Diamond Trophy, which will come up in a few weeks. Like that had, didn't play for a while before 2017. And they're great rivalries. I think West Virginia and Pitt are only like, they call it the backyard Bronx. They're only like an hour, hour and a half apart. Like it's really close. Yeah. And so that game was great. And then on that opening night, we also had Penn State Purdue, which was a great game and came down to the wire. Penn State ended up covering by a half point, but that was an intense matchup as well. Yeah. And I think everybody watched the Rutgers BC game just to get, you know, obviously (laughs) that, that probably got good eyeballs on it, but uh, it was a good slate. Um, I was tied up 
uh, during a lot of the uh, Ohio State Notre Dame game, so I didn't get to watch a, a lot of that. But um, I got a, I got a, um, some comments from my wife on it, and obviously they it was a slow start, kind of a slow game until the end, uh, and then Ohio State really turned it on. So yeah, I said I would be impressed if uh, Freeman covered. And they covered, yep. so I, I might I might be changing my tune on Marcus Freeman as a head coach here. He's a great recruiter, and I was I was wondering how much of a good coach he'll be. And one game does not make a full season, but I was impressed with their performance. And you know who did not cover is their former coach uh, at LSU uh, <laughs> he, after yes. a loss to FSU, which I we did not expect that. I don't think no, uh, no, so. we did not. Uh, uh, that was impressive, and it should have been more impressive. Florida State nearly blew it at the end. That was the ACC's weekend in general. I mean, we blew our game. NC State came so, so close. Carolina came so close. FSU came close, but they all won. Yep. And so that's what matters at the end of the day. They all escaped. The only team that really couldn't escape was us and BC. And BC at least lost to a Power 5 team. Uh, it stinks to be that that team in your conference to lose to the G5 team in week one. But we'll get into that in a sec. We got a commitment from a high-end three-star cornerback. Somehow, after that dismal performance, Mason Kelly, uh, might be Mason, I'm not sure, but he's a high-end three, as I said, 87 on 247. It was a nice little commitment that we picked up. I also had some depth chart observations from the most recent depth chart they put out. Uh, the surprises at wide receiver last week, mostly which was centered around Kakavitsis and Steven Gusnell starting, uh, were due to guys being nicked up. And now we see Jalen Jones and Christian Moss listed as backups at wide receiver, which I guess they were kind of hurt. And that's why they weren't in there. We got Caleb with a lower body injury. It looks yep. seems like a hamstring. And so we're going to need those guys. Hopefully our wide receiving core will look better. I mean, the separation wasn't there most of the night. Uh, there's kind of a, a lack of talent, which we'll get into. But, man, uh, we need Jalen Jones and, and Moss to come out and, and do something, and Gosnell and, and the rest of those guys to step up if, if Caleb can't go. Yeah, they need to get uh, experienced very, very quickly uh, based on what we saw in the last game. And it, they said Caleb Smith is day-to-day um, is the last thing I saw. He pulled up. Uh, in that game and um, hurt himself. And then they said they cautiously just kept him out, I think, the whole second half of the game, if I'm not mistaken. He was out, uh, but unsure of whether or not it's going to be lingering or or he'll be good to go and come back. Yeah, Price said he's a tough kid, and that kind of tells me he's going to play. Yeah. But we'll, we'll find out. I thought a couple other interesting things. King is now the number one back, and he played well. And so that that makes sense. C.J. McCray now listed as a number two defensive end. That will help that side of the football. Alan Tisdale didn't play, didn't travel with the team, and we learned that he's dealing with an eligibility issue. And that's by why he's been playing with the scout team. He's He won scout team MVP for whatever that's worth. And he's listed, along with three other guys, at the will position. There's four guys on the depth chart at will, including Jaden McDonald, who got the start, Mm -hmm. and then Keller, who made the big play, but didn't get as many snaps. And I think uh, Lawson was the other one, I will. So a lot going on there. It would be nice if we get Tisdale back, especially if they didn't feel good enough about Keller to start him. Then (laughs) I don't know what's going on based on what we heard in the offseason and now, but we'll talk about that too. And Pry came out about uh, Keller and just said, 
yeah, we didn't, he, he didn't know the system well enough. He didn't, we didn't feel like he was as comfortable with uh, the defensive playbook. And that's why we decided not to start him. Still seems weird with how much we're hearing about him. Right. I agree. Holston working back should be good to play versus BC, but he didn't look like himself and he was involved in one of the most critical plays of the game. So we want to see him play better against yes. BC if he's going to play. But I'm glad that King looked as good as he did. And then the last news and note before we get to S&P Plus, some other stuff, Blumrick ran over that student at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, some people thought it was funny. Some people thought it was really wrong. <sighs> it didn't look like he hit the one kid that hard. No. But he apologized for it, and he won't be suspended. So yes, it's, uh, there's that. All said and done. So, yeah. Yeah. It's We basically on. After the loss, we had stolen stuff from the locker room on top of him knocking somebody, uh, knocking somebody over. Great night all the way around. It was, uh, yeah. We we finished it off with a again. Yeah, then you had the, the elevator. Uh, yeah, fast oh yeah, snaffle. our coaches got stuck in the yeah, elevator. Yeah, the, the whole thing. There was just uh, it was just a sign that we did not need to be in Norfolk for that game. No, we dropped to 69th in the SP plus. Nice, <laughs> and that 90th on. Offensive SP plus moved to 100th after <laughs> last week. An even 100 in the SP plus offense. That is rough. 35th on D. So the D could meet our preseason projections, but that hope of maybe having a top 80, top 70, top 65 offense, I, I'm not so sure that's going to happen. We'll, we'll kind of go over that when we talk about Grant Wells. I wanted to mention our stickers that were sold at the end of last season. I got a couple more orders for those. We have the information on how to order stickers on our website, 2DVT.com, and on our pinned tweet on our Twitter page. And a couple of people have sent in money. I mailed some out last week. I'll send some more out tomorrow. But if you want to order stickers, they're five bucks and you Venmo me. It's very simple. And I'll put them in the mail the next day and you should get them within a few days. So uh, keep those sticker orders coming if you want to support the podcast. Robbie, let's get into this game recap. It started off well for the Hokies. We moved the ball a bit, got a couple three and outs, and took a 7-0 lead on our second drive. Wells had that 18-yard scamper to the end zone after pulling the handoff from King. It was a cool little play, left him wide open to, to run it in. And then after an interception on what looked like a miscommunication between Wells and the wide receiver, ODU got on the board early in the second quarter with a field goal to make it 7-3. Wells threw another interception on our next drive, we were about at the 30 at the time, so that took points off the board. And later in the second, we were driving again and set up for a field goal attempt when a different type of disaster struck. We had the snap over the holder's head, rolled about 40 yards before our kicker blew his shot at getting it, bounced right to an ODU guy, and touchdown. Like, the odds of that, I couldn't believe the way that played out. Well, it play, and there was actually a play right before that because if you remember, there was the negated pass at the goal line mm-hmm. that uh, got thrown um, because Kakavitas um, got a got called for a pick play, um, an offensive uh, penalty, uh, which negated that, which led to us having to go to for an attempted field goal, which led to the snap, which led to the kicker not being able to scoop the ball in his own, and that led to a touchdown. That butterfly effect will get after you. Yes. Let me tell you what. Jeez. Yeah. But you're right. That, that was a good point to bring that up. Uh, so that was more points off the board, and overall, a 10-point swing could have been a 14-point swing, if you think about it, because of the penalty. At the half, it was 10-7 to 7 ODU. 
We kicked a field goal on the first drive of our sec- of the second half, forced a three and out on ODU's next drive, and then forced a fumble. The fumble led to a touchdown on the pass to King. So now it's 17 to 10. And I kind of felt like we were going to open it up, but no such luck. A couple drives later, ODU kicked a field goal, made it 17-13. And I still kind of felt like we were in control, but we couldn't score. And with about three minutes left in the game, Wells threw what I would call kind of a hot ball to Holston, bounced off his hands right to the ODU player. They get the interception. ODU goes 74 yards in nine plays and punches it in the end zone after one touchdown gets brought back. Seconds go off the clock. They score. Now there's only 33 seconds left, and we took a few deep shots, but it was over. The Hokies lost 20-17. to I thought the story of the game was all of the mistakes, yeah. and I don't know if you had a different story, but that's what it was to me. Yes, a lot of mistakes. Um, in a number of different areas, we had a lot of sloppy football. We had five turnovers, four interceptions by Grant Wells. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, three of them that really mattered. Um, 14 penalties for a total of 100 yards. That was the most since the 2012 Rutgers game, which we all look back on fondly as a yeah. uh, a, a quite an amazing experience for anybody. Uh, and Second the, most penalties in the country. Yes, and a scoop <laughs> and score on the bad field goal snap, as well as... Um, you know, Brent Pry and the team, I'll put that on everybody, botching the timeout at the end of the game that ate the clock down from a little bit over uh, a minute something. It took about 30 seconds off the clock. So, yep. yeah, hope, hopefully you wouldn't need that time in uh, in this particular instance. We did need that time. We needed it, yeah. And who knows if we would have scored, but it just just more to pile on to all the things that went wrong and and what happened there. Let's start with the offense since that's obviously the rough side of the football. It wasn't good. A run game lacked a bit of a punch at times. I thought the blocking wasn't actually that good. I thought our success in the run game was mainly due to Keyshawn King being excellent at breaking tackles. Yeah, the offensive line um, didn't look good. It didn't look like the protection was there. I, we were going up against a team you thought uh, would have they would have dominated, and with Rudolph in, we all had pretty high expectations for that. And if you haven't read it already, if you read French's article on the key play, uh, I wanted to make sure that my eyes were not deceiving me. He had some uh, a lot of good commentary as uh, somebody that knows offensive line very well that it was not good. So yeah. the the Keyshawn King did it all really in spite of having a good offensive line, which made his performance over the night uh, even more impressive with 111 yards on uh, on 19 carries. Yeah, almost six yards a carry. And it's great to see someone who we worried about his size be that physical yeah. and be able to go between the tackles and bounce off of guys and keep churning his legs because that's not the Keyshawn King we've seen in the past. Yeah. So that was really refreshing. Uh, let's talk about Wells and get that kind of out of the way. Yeah. 21 for 36, less than 200 yards, one TD, four interceptions, and then he ran for another yard, uh, ran for another touchdown. Just two completions, I think, down the field for Wells. Yeah. And I think one was to Smith early on before he went out, and then Gus Nell had one that he kind of had to make a diving catch for where if it was thrown a little bit better, it 
could have been a longer gain. Uh, we didn't see the passes down the field that they talked about, or even really the attempts. They added some at the end of the game yeah. when we were, for some reason, throwing to Blumrick when we hadn't done it the whole time. I th- mm-hmm. actually thought that was kind of funny. It's like, haven't thrown them all game. Just go down there, Connor. We got you. <laughs> Just, hey, Connor, twice we threw it to him. Hey, Connor, you're... Uh... <coughs> Oh, right. You, if yep. he wasn't already exhausted from the first run, just let's try it again. <laughs> yeah, just uh, we're, we're, uh, throw it out there. Um, you could see the strength in his arm, but um, that's that's all you could see uh, on this particular evening. So, I mean, it was exactly the scenario you, you laid out in the yeah. podcast. It yeah. was the nightmare scenario. Yeah, the nightmare scenario, which was funny. You, you reminded me that I had to go back and listen to, to what I said. I, it was one of those, you know, Frank the Tank from old school. I blacked out, evidently, and, and <laughs> predicted the future. Um, but the nightmare scenario was you throw a couple picks, you get in your own head, um, you kind of start pressing, and it leads to some more. Listen, the two of them were bad, like really bad. One was a bad throw. One was a bad read. That's come straight from Pry after reviewing the tape. That's not like a guess. Um, one was on Holston, uh, questionable about where you know he was throwing it and how he threw it. And then one was a throwaway. So the throwaway, I don't care about. So yeah, it's really, obviously. it's three picks, uh, one of which... Yeah, you could kind of question, but two are, are really on his shoulders. So, yeah. And that preseason hype about him and his accuracy and all that kind of stuff, it really <laughs> went down in flames. Like, and this is Chris Coleman kind of talked about this. This is why coaches don't say that much. Mm-hmm. Like, and Pry and Glenn and all kinds of guys on that staff were saying a lot of positive stuff, which as fans, we all appreciate and we, we want to hear that kind of stuff. But occasionally, it blows up in your face massively. And Grant Wells, he was exactly as advertised. We knew he could throw. We knew he could throw really nice balls. And we knew he could float balls and throw interceptions. And we got the full experience in this game. And it's it's making me pretty nervous for the rest of the season. He has started 24 games and he's got 26 interceptions. And maybe there's a couple of those are, that are at the end of the game and it's there, but we're talking about one interception per game is what he averages. From personal experience recently, you know, I have had a lot of time off from work recently. So as is an uh, analogous to this and what happened that night, I've been playing a lot of golf. And when I went out recently to play in my club championship, um, I'm a bit of a head case when it comes to like tournament golf and it was bad, like really bad. Um, yeah. And I'm so you- I'm like the lowest my handicap has ever been. But now like the lights are on. It's I'm in Norfolk and it's game night and it was it was not good. So I know my prowess on the golf course is a, a good allegory for what we're talking about here in that maybe he's just and I don't he could change it around next week. But some people probably exist out there that are really good in practice. And then when they get into a game situation, they have a tendency to not do what they're doing in practice. Those people have to exist somewhere. And perhaps he is one of them because Pry even said after the game, he's still vehemently saying that that's not what they saw in practice. Like that's not, that's not the wells that they saw in the off season. So, um, 
let's hope that it's just a one night thing. But now we're 24 games into you know, a common Who mistake. Who is? Yeah. Right. And, and, and you kind of hope with new coaching and a new environment and new players and being older, like he's going to improve. And so th- that's why this was a little bit more disappointing. And I put out a bunch of stats on Twitter just about his QBR in games and how it compares to Braxton Burmeister, someone we didn't think was a great quarterback. And Wells had more games that were higher and he had more games that were lower. He's a very boomer bust kind of player. And the good news for us is usually after he played badly, he would bounce back with a good game. Mm-hmm. And so he needs to do that. And then at like he did at the end of last year where he threw very few picks down the stretch, he needs to just tighten it all up. man. Yeah. And when he does have one mistake in a game, don't let it lead to two and three and four. Yeah. In addition to that, and it's not lost on me, and I shouldn't be lost on anybody of who he's throwing to, right? We mm-hmm. do not have the deepest wide receiving core. Uh, you know, he especially is, after Caleb goes out, right? Correct. So um, there's that as well, and that's not his fault. Uh, but he's going to have to learn to operate in that environment because I don't see that changing anytime soon. So that that's no. that's kind of a fixed. Yeah, we hope that some of the younger guys, we build some depth, those sorts of things, guys without experience, uh, you know, we, that matures over the course of the season. But there's still a bit of a ceiling on that as well. That's kind of the environment we're operating in. Yeah. I thought the bright spot was Gallo on in terms of the receivers catching the ball. Uh, Gallo looked great at tight end. It was someone that, and this is the inverse, right? Like we heard a lot about Grant Wells looking awesome. Didn't look awesome. We didn't hear anything about Gallo, mm-hmm. and he looked great. He had seven catches. That was half of entire his entire season output from last year. Right, yep. he only had fourteen catches last year. So he had a really nice night. Uh, Drake added two more. So we're going to use that. That was not false advertising about using the tight ends. Like we're going to use them. And in fact, if we're going to think that Blumrick is this downfield threat, maybe we should incorporate him a little bit more because we need wide receiving talent in any way we can get it tight end wide receiver whatever we need receivers so we had a few nice grabs from lofton would have been nice to see him a little bit more but with the night the way the night was going i think uh three three grabs for him is about all we could ask for and uh the penalties you did kind of mention on with and that kind of goes to the whole team not just offense but some of them seemed like bs but you just can't have that many procedural penalties which a lot fall on the offense and have a great night yeah, and the, the one again, and honestly, if I'm pronouncing his name, and I probably am wrong, uh, Kakavitas, um, the one he had. Was it Gosnell or Kakavitas on that pick play? I thought it was no, it a pick or a block. Kak- it doesn't it was matter. A pick. It was a pick. Um, okay. At least the commentary afterwards was a pick. Everybody was confused when it happened. If you remember during the game, if you go back and listen, yeah. they were like, "What? What was it?" But if you like, if you watch, it's most the comment. The commentary finally on the play on the broadcast was maybe he thought it was a run play because he was blocking downfield mm. was the only excuse because he was just. He was all up in that dude's grill. There was no real reason. And the guy was 12 yards off of the ball. He had, he was right. not even in the play. It was, um, but it was just a, it was just kind of a, a definite misstep and 
that that hurt badly because that would have been a I think that would have been a TD right there, and, and then what, it would have saved so the TD. Annoying. Yeah, yeah. And what was so annoying about it is that it's not a thing that they call a whole lot. So yeah. it was like, what? Wait, they're really going to call this right now? And we, yeah. I feel like over the years with Tech, do you remember the touchdown we scored against Notre Dame several years back? where they called a legal man downfield. Yes. And it was like, it was no part of the play. A lot of times the refs let that slide. But of course, when we're going up against Notre Dame, they call it. That's kind of how this felt. Like we needed to get right at the goal line yeah. and it cost us big time in this one. Yeah. Let's talk about the defense before we go for a little bit of a beer break here. They had a good night up until the end. And it was weird because Wolf, their quarterback, was so bad yeah. that it actually worked out in their favor at the end because the underthrows were the only way that those receivers made those long catches. Yeah, it was, you know, we talked a lot about um, Jennings coming into the game and he didn't do anything. There was a lot, there was nothing throughout the game until that final drive. And then he had the reception for the 24 yard catch and then the 38 yard catch on the strong pass interference that set up Mm -hmm. the winning uh, TD it was it was strange, but yeah, you're right. It's almost as though it was so bad that we weren't even prepared for what would happen and you know the throws were all short and then that ended up you know benefiting them in the end. Yeah, that that fourth and two was also like where the guy squeaked through after yeah. getting hit in the backfield. Mm-hmm. That really sucked because that was the game, right? Like we had them dead to rights. The defense was called correctly. We were right there. <clears throat> couldn't pull it off. Wolf was just 14 of 35, just had a putrid rating after the game. Second worst rating in all of the Sun Belt of all the quarterbacks that played. I mean, he he was really bad, and that's what we had thought. We didn't think he was a good quarterback, and the defense really pressured him and made him uncomfortable. Yep. ODU had two drives that went over 34 yards the entire night, and that's where 10 of their points came from. And like I said, the end of the game was really more lucky than good for them. I I feel bad for Strong because he had a good game yep. and didn't give up basically any passes to Jennings the entire time, as you mentioned. And then he has to go out and like deal with that underthrow and kind of got screwed on the whole thing. Yeah, it was it was tough. And <laughs> but overall, I thought he he played well. Dax played really well. Like his gap mm. fits were. Phenomenal. He was moving around. He was in the right place. He had 11 tackles. Um, he had one and a half tackles for a loss. He had two pass breakups and then the fumble recovery on the Keller strip. And um, Peoples had a nice uh, night, 10 tackles, one and a half tackles for a loss. Overall, the defense, I'm willing to, it sucks that it was on the last drive and it sucks that they, you know, converted it all into a touchdown. I'm not letting that really cloud what I view the defense did on the night overall because it shouldn't have played out like that, right? We should have had um, more points than we did, and it really shouldn't have been on the defense after they had been really holding ODU to almost nothing the entire game. I think they played well, so I come away thinking you know, really highly of their performance on the night. Yeah, it is. They should never have come to that at the end, right? We should have never been in that position. Just 245 yards allowed by the defense, 3.6 yards per play. That is the lowest we've had since 2019 in terms of yards per play. And since the start of 2018, we've played 50 games before this season. 
we'd only given up less than four yards per play three times. Wow. So th- this was a standout performance. And we've played a lot of bad offenses. So let's not just say, oh, it was ODU. No. This is 50 games. Yeah. We've done it three times. So for Pry to do it in his first game, yep. I think some credit is due. And I think we could be looking at a very good defense throughout this year because as Keller improves, some of the younger guys improve. We've already seen a massive improvement from Dax. Yep. That was the best game of his career. Yes, by if far. You, they... I think the the PFF thing said he was the third highest rated linebacker in the country yep. from this past Saturday and Friday night. So what a, what a game for Dax. Uh, he also, he forced a fumble and he recovered a fumble. Yes. I mean, yeah. spectacular. Uh, it was nice to see Keller get in there and force that one fumble. I, I want to see more out of him. And hopefully that is truly what it was with Jaden McDonald playing. It was about him knowing the defense better rather than Keller maybe like being disciplined or something. Cause yeah. I, I just thought for sure Keller was going to start. Yeah. I think, I think it is. I think Pry was pretty, i pretty upfront about it in the, uh, in the presser. Uh, special teams wise, we talked about the huge mistake that essentially cost us the game with the snap over the head. Uh, I, I just wish the kicker had fallen on it. Yeah. Like I, I know it's harder. It's easier said than done, Yes, but just kick it out of bounds and swat at it anything <laughs> rather than slide next to it and let it bounce away. Uh, and the punts, like, did you notice that ODU's punts were like yeah, rolling and rolling and rolling? Yes. They, their punter is good. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give it uh, they just, you know, but we got to field those. Things, I know. You know, like you gotta, you gotta catch those and fair catch them. I don't know. I hear you. There, there was a lot of like lost yardage in the game. I thought from that as well. Final takeaways were that basically our talent level, we know that it's down, right? This is not this is not nearly as talented a team as we had a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Fuente's recruiting has caught up with us, and we don't have the luxury of making all these mistakes and beating a team, even if they're less talented than us. Yeah. Uh, that's something Bitter talked about. It's something Diablo fan account mentioned. Like there is no margin for error right now for us. Yeah, or not that much margin. For not that much. Yeah, it's there's there's a little bit, but we just don't have the leeway that we would have before. And I don't know. I mean, with that, with four interceptions, five turnovers, and that many penalties, and all, I mean, it's tough to win any game. I mean, it's just it's just uh, ODU was two of fifteen on third down. Yeah. And we didn't win. Yeah, like that's, that's how bad everything else was. Like that's impossible to lose when you're hold them to two of fifteen on third down. Our post game win expectancy via Bill Connolly was seventy five percent. I mean, that's Jesus, <laughs> that's that's insane. Um, we need some wide receivers to step up. I think having eight wide receivers transfer or leave the program early over the past four years. I think that's since 2018. It's eight, wow. including Trey, which I know he did play four years, but like he still left early. Yep. Like he could have stayed another year. Plus all of the transfers. I'm talking Bowick and Pickney and the list goes on and on. It has caught up with us. Yeah. And it's so evident. We have such a lack of playmakers when Smith and Malachi aren't playing. We got virtually nobody out there. I, I no disrespect to the guys that are playing. I mean, I know Lofton has talent, but like, I'm talking about on the whole. Yeah, we are. It's it's bad. It's it's rough, and um, got to get Blumberg out there. 
Got it. No more Blumberg. More Blumberg. I will say I think we have to take the game one with a grain of salt. We learned last year. We go out. We beat a top ten team, and that didn't play through. We went six and six and had a lot of close losses. The same can be said for when you have a very bad game. I'm not changing my seven and five. I didn't change my six and six last year after beating UNC. I'm not changing my seven and five this year. I still think we're going in seven and five, and I feel somewhat good about this BC game we're about to talk about. But it is disappointing that that was that was tough to watch on Friday night. Give me a JMU season. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what we're talking here. That's why that's what we where need. we go out and win ten straight or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. There's always hope. There's always hope. But uh, I'm not changing my prediction. It's just. It's a un- very unfortunate result and a lot of mistakes, but at least they were mistakes. Um, and let's see if they can get them cleaned up. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Arash and Downtown Crown and Dominion have been kind enough to sponsor us once again this year. Robbie, I don't know we, how we managed to hold on to a sponsor this long, but having a beer store sponsor this podcast... Uh, a podcast that loves beer and that's the reason we got this thing going was because we wanted to talk sports and we want to talk beer it's a perfect marriage and these two stores are fantastic the local beer selection at both of them is is amazing you'll get great maryland beers up at the downtown crown location in gaithersburg and you got some awesome virginia beer selection at the dominion wine and beer which is right in falls church if you're not aware and i know robbie is a fan of the food there they've got a great outdoor setup and an indoor setup with a full, nice granite bar. Uh, you really can't go wrong at either place. No, I would go. The dragon shrimp are awesome. I've gone there and gotten those a bunch of times. But no, food is really good. Selection is really good. And we've talked about this before, but it's awesome because you can knock out a lot of stuff at once. So you can go upstairs, sit down, grab some food. Grab some good beer, grab some good wine, go downstairs at the Falls Church location, and they have a full wine and beer store down below. So you're you're knocking out, you know, all your tasks just uh just as one, having a good time, hanging out with people, and then uh, picking up some stuff from home. Yeah, so make sure to check out Dominion Wine and Beer and Downtown Crown Wine and Beer this season for all of your beer and wine needs. For right now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking. We'll hit this on another podcast. Uh, there's There's been some commentary, including a nice Apple review for us uh, that people don't want to hear about me talking about non-alcoholic beers. Um, <laughs> so uh, evidently I have to, uh, I have to, I have to dumb it down for people um, as well. No, so, man, you got to keep doing you. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, uh, I am not drinking. I haven't drank in a while. It's been probably almost five months now. Personal choice, personal reasons. Um, but I am uh, not drinking. But I am out there and on the hunt and searching for good uh, non-alcoholic beers all the time because I still love beer. So those are two conflicting uh, parts of my life. So I am drinking uh, the Brewdog uh, Punk AF, which all of the Brewdog beers out of Ohio do this kind of AF thing we've talked about before on the podcast, which is it could be as F, uh, if you know what an AF uh, stands for, or it could be alcohol-free. Um, so it's a nice, uh, very nice double entendre that they have going there. It is a, a pretty good, hoppy, non-alcoholic uh, pale ale that uh, I enjoy and um, doesn't have the booze, but it's got plenty of flavor. So I like it. How about you? 
I am drinking the Great Lakes Oktoberfest. We're in September, and it's time to drink those Oktoberfest beers. I started a little early on the day I was having my fantasy draft, but Great Lakes makes a really good beer. They make great Christmas beers. They have tons of stuff, and we talked about how they do the big reveal for their Christmas beer every year. Yep. Well, their Oktoberfest is fantastic. It's typical Marzen-style lager, but it's definitely one of my favorites I've had over the past couple of years. Six and a half percent, not too malty, which is my biggest thing with Oktoberfest. If they get a little too on that syrupy side or whatever it is, it's not my thing. This one is perfect. You can drink it in hot weather, cold weather. It's it's great for anything. So the Great Lakes Oktoberfest, I would highly recommend this one. And just to tie a bow around what Robbie just said, if so, a guy who loves drinking beer is not drinking alcohol beer, <laughs> I think he needs your support. So let's just all support Rob, all right? <laughs> Appreciate that. All right, let's talk about BC. They went six and six last year, two and six in the ACC, so not a good year in league, and they're coached by Jeff Halfley. One of their two wins was against VT, if you're looking at the ACC wins. And it was probably our worst game of the regular season. Do you remember that game? Yeah, that was pretty abysmal. Um, I remember leading up to that game, I was talking about it a bit, and I don't think really... We we had an expectation, but we were like reserved just because it was a BC game, and it just it just we fell flat on our face. Well, do you remember what they did to us? Yeah, it was the second red bandana game yeah. of the season for them. They oh, pulled that right. card. That's right, and they yeah. lied about Jerkovic. Like yeah. like they were. Yeah, they even like took the picture of the locker room, didn't show his locker. And then all of a sudden he played in the game. That's right. And now he didn't have a great night or he anything. He didn't play like, well, right? Yeah. That's yeah. It, it but it gave them a boost. Mm-hmm. And we played like dog shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was awful. But in any case, different season. Their offensive line is garbage, and we'll get to that in a second. They lost to Rutgers last week, twenty-two to twenty-one. They were eight and a half point favorites at home, and they couldn't pull it off. And it's becoming clear that their offense might be on the struggle bus. We're 100th in the SP+. They are 108. Wow. So we actually found an offense worse than ours after week one. Uh, 76th overall in the SP+. I said earlier we're 69th, so we're actually a little bit ahead of BC in the SP+. Overall. Last year, they were 94th in yards per play. And some of that was because Jerkovic didn't play a handful of games. But even when he came back, he wasn't the same. And so some people, a lot of us thought, you know, that's because he was banged up. He came back too soon, whatever. But this first game, and whether it's the offensive line or him, it's not that original Jerkovic that played so well for BC. No, he, he, I'll say the only thing, and I watched some of the clips and some of the passes, him and Zay Flowers really have a nice, granted, you know, Flowers is an amazing wide receiver, so that makes it a little bit easier. But he looks like almost one quarterback when he's thrown to um, Flowers. I'm sure most people would. And then somebody a little bit different for, for everybody else. But, no, he is he is not necessarily – I thought his, his passing was good, but I did think that uh, Flowers made it look a lot better on a few of those receptions. He had, like, the nice over-the-shoulder catch in the end zone. He had a few really nice – a couple of his catches he – you know, made two guys miss and then ran for a whole bunch of yards. So 
um, those two really had something going on in the game, that's for sure. He had 10 catches in yeah. that Rutgers game. Yeah. And you're right, he is sensational. But if you name Jerkovic and you name Flowers and then you name the running back Garwo, you have just named all of the returning starters from last year. Yes. It, their, their tight end has like some weird ineligibility or suspended indefinitely issue. So he's not back. That was Lachetti. And they've turned to Takis, but like the backup wideouts, the other tight ends, they're all not very good. Garwo's is okay. <laughs> Although I will say he only had 25 yards on 14 attempts against Rutgers. Yeah, that game. And, and, and Shiano's got that defense going, but like, come on now. 20 of those yards came on one carry. So oh, he God. had 13 carries for five yards uh, for the rest of them. So, yeah. The entire team had 29 yards on 28 carries. So they got one yard per carry last week against Rutgers. Yes. One. And Rutgers' front was was crazy. I, they They had, I think it was what nine s- tackles for loss yeah. and eight hurries yeah i think it was it was something along those lines so the the offensive line for bc as you mentioned to prove as we kick this off is terrible uh, it's just it's really bad because garwo is not he's not a world beater but he's better than that so yeah. it, it is not you know very who they're good. missing right who's that adazio oh yeah that's, that's why the offensive line is no true. good that's true <laughs> Um, yeah, there's no dudes on that offensive line. Any no longer. dudes. So once the dudes are gone. Um, but, you know, Djurkovic overall, overall was 23 for 41, 283 yards, but he had also had two interceptions. Uh, <coughs> just beat out uh, our quarterback's QBR with a, a solid 47.2, um, which is not not good for those keeping track at home. Um, no. but uh, and you may be surprised that their second leading touches for the team and and catches is a tight end, which is just too perfect for Boston College and what they do. So George yeah, think, Takas, right, right. Boston College is always bringing out like a Tommy Sweeney or somebody <laughs> that's going off on us, right? Yeah. So it could it could be tax, but they really have one playmaker, and it's Zay Flowers. Yeah. And if our defense is as aggressive and as physical as it was against ODU, we could put up some numbers in this game. I want to see Norrell Pollard in that backfield. I want to see Garbid and McCray. I want Dax. We got to get these guys going in this game because if you play physical and get to Jerkovic, it could be a long night for him in lane. It's not a good place to come into without an offensive line. I'll also add, do you know when you see those stats sometimes, like tackles for a, la- for a loss, um, Pass breakups. Sometimes the stats don't make sense on pass breakups. You're like, there had to be more pass breakups than that. There was a stat in here. I don't know if you caught it in a box. I did not go back and watch this game. That they had, BC had six fumbles in this game. Only one of those was for a loss. Or like a lost fumble. They had that. Whether that is real or not, I don't know. Or if it's just one of those weird things that they had... You know, somebody jotting down the stats that just kind of, you know, was like, ah, it looked like it bumped, popped out. <laughs> they, have it, they have it recorded as six fumbles, but only one lost fumble. That's a good catch from you, yeah. though, because if that speaks to Jerkovic getting hit or the running backs getting hit in the backfield, that's going to keep happening. Yeah. And that could lead to more fumbles for us. So that's mm-hmm. that's a good catch. Let's switch over to defense. Their top four tacklers are back this year. That's the linebacker Arnold and De Palma, and then DBs DeBerry and Woodbay. 
They only gave up 322 yards to Rutgers, but 212 of that were on the ground. And if we watched our game last week, we know that I'd be a little bit more inclined to run the ball. So that's a good sign for us, right? Five yards per carry from Rutgers. BC's defense was 128th in the country in terms of average against the rush last week. I know it's one game, but they were basically dead last in average yards per carry. So this is a game where King's going to have to have a big game for us. Yes, and I think that's going to be critical. You had, I think, the longest pass play that uh, Rutgers uh, had in this game was like 21 yards in the whole game. Uh, the rest of them were like 15, 16 yards at, at, on long passes. Uh, so uh, not much not much happening um, there for, for Rutgers. Granted, this is a Shiano uh, Rutgers team. and Yeah, their quarterback isn't good. Yeah. They, uh, that's, that's their, they like to, they like to run the dang ball. And, but I, but in that same vein, like the DBs for BC, that's probably their best group. Yes. Like they brought back four starters. Uh, they got a couple other corners that are decent. The back end is, is good for them. I thought their defensive line would be better because they brought a ton back. They're only missing one or two guys from last year. But the guys they brought back, only one of them, and I think that's Ezeraku, mm-hmm. he's dynamic. Like, he forced two fumbles. Uh, he, as a younger guy, he had four tackles for loss last year. But he had eight solo tackles in the game as a defensive lineman. Wow. So I think he could be a little bit of a a physical player that we'll have to deal with. But this isn't the BC defensive line. Like, the lines that we used to know from the Adazio years aren't quite there. And I know Halfley's a defensive guy and his linebackers, and it's a 4-2-5 again, I think, for this yeah. team, just like ODU. Their linebackers are good, and their DBs are pretty solid. But that defensive line isn't quite there yet. Yeah, Rutgers barely threw a pass on their 12-play drive to win the green, to win the game at the end. They threw or they ran the ball eleven times on a ninety yard drive and then threw one incomplete pass. So they just oh they God. just ran the ball eleven times to go ninety yards down the field. And, and BC couldn't the stop. They them. couldn't stop. Them. No. Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Oh, I got this too. Special teams SP plus for BC one oh six. Wow. Okay. So Maybe we'll have the special teams advantage this week. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, if we have a bad snap, then it will be we'll be on equal footing of who recovers the ball. So. Right. So overall, it's not a good defense. Better against the pass, but not many hurries or sacks last year. Just three sacks against Rutgers, which I guess three sacks is okay. But like we said before, they're not a good passing team, and they have a bad quarterback. They should be slightly better against the run this year in the long haul, but they were really bad against the run last year. I think last year they were 94th in opposing yards per carry. Mm-hmm. They didn't start well, so maybe they won't be better than that. So we got to run, we got to run the football overall analysis and keys. It's a night game in the home opener. This is where Virginia tech historically has thrived. Tech's on a six game winning streak in home openers. And we are 31 and three in home openers since 1988. So this is a good spot for us. It's an orange effect game. As long as we can figure out a way to rush the football consistently, I'm hoping Rudolph's on that offensive line after last week because we, we got to do better in this game. 
Giants. I think we're going to bounce back in a big way. Do you feel that way? I do. I, I have two. You already hit on one of them. we got to be able to run the ball efficiently, especially against this run defense. And then I we got to find a way. I don't think we're going to be able to shut him down, but be able to mitigate Jerkovic and Zay Flowers, that connection that those two have, because they can do some damage. I mean, he can put up... He himself can put up 110, 120 yards uh, alone uh, in the blink of an eye. So we got to find a way to to do that uh, in this game. Yeah, we're talking about a bounce back for Grant Wells. We need Dorian Strong to bounce back from that one bad play that he made in that game because he was awesome on a very good receiver in Allie Jennings for 99% of that game. And I think he can do that on Zay Flowers too. And the beauty of it is Jerkovic is a good enough quarterback. He's not going to be thrown under throws by accident. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we don't have to worry about bad passes leading to uh, to bad outcomes for us. Uh, and then uh, cleaning up the sloppy play. I th- That one gets a little tough. It's just like, what, is, what does that mean? And uh, Pry talked a little bit about attention to detail and the small things and putting in the effort. Um, yeah, we'll... we'll We'll see if that leads to people playing tight or if they just start playing a little bit more conscious of what they're doing and making sure that they don't make mistakes and um, you know play appropriately versus playing too tight. Based on the way these two offenses looked, this seems like it's going to be a low-scoring game. The SP plus for BC's defense is it's in the 40s. So it's a solid group. We're in the 30s. I'm thinking like 17 to 10. Yeah. 20 to 13 something like that and the winner you know flip a coin but we're at home we're actually two and a half point favorites at home and i feel i feel confident that we are going to play well and not have the mistakes i just feel like yeah there will be penalties there may be an interception or a fumble but at home after that performance and the guys being as pissed off as they are I feel like we're going to come out, pressure Jerkovic, cover Zay Flowers really well, and and win a tight game. Yeah, I would agree with that. It is this one is not going to get many highlights on ESPN. I don't think. I think it's uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of cutovers if you're watching a different game to this game uh, from a scoring standpoint. Is my suspicion. So, but I I do think the drive and the motivation from a bad game last week should be enough to win the tight game this week, uh, especially at, at home. The over-under is 45 and a half I'm looking at right now. That's high. So I'm yeah, that I'm, would be 23-22. Yeah, I would take the under in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, I think the I think the under is going to hit as well. But sometimes that's when games surprise us. We'll find out. Let's get into the picks, Robbie. Bama at Texas. Alabama is going to Austin, and they are 20-point favorites. Yeah. I don't think this one's going to be close. I'm going to take Bama. Wow. You and I, you always do this. And then you... you <coughs> what you, do I always you do? You do the pick Bama until they, you know, you oh, yeah, prove yeah, it yeah, wrong. True. I do. Uh, <laughs> which is paid off. I, they were... Isn't this the first time somebody's been a double-digit favorite in every single game for the whole season, I think, is um, Bama this year. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Oh, going into the year? I think yes, you're right. Yeah. I, think, I think that's the case. I'm going to go Texas on this game to just cover the 
the 20 and a half. Bijan Robinson is sensational. And as long as Ewer's car doesn't get towed before the game, like he should be all right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Did a, you hear about his Porsche? No. But that's got, awesome. It got towed from like some locks. He had the wrong parking pass or whatever. Oh, that's perfect. Somebody called that in, I guess. I bet. Yeah. Y'all yeah, was an Ohio State fan, obviously. So. All right. Next game Louisville at UCF. UCF, five and a half point favorites against Louisville. Our, our like thought about Satterfield and Louisville was spot on because they went to the dome and they got their asses kicked. Yeah. That, that Louisville team, it's weird. If you look at their talent composite, it's lower than ours. Like it is in the sixties. I think it's number 60, their talent composite. Like wow. I didn't know all the bad. transfers from the turnover of coaches. They are depleted of talent right now. Well, and, and they've got a great recruiting class coming in, but they're not there yet. And they just got their ass kicked by Syracuse. So I'm picking UCF. Okay. I'm picking Louisville, but I'm assuming that Satterfield's comments about potentially leaving didn't help anything, you know, either about the game. Oh, did he say something like that? That was last year, I'm pretty sure. Oh, oh, you're talking about last year. In terms of transfers, I haven't been watching their transfers out in the portal that much, but I'm assuming that some guys probably bailed after that. I'm going to go Louisville. Louisville to cover? All right. Next game, Tennessee at Pittsburgh. This is one of the best games of the weekend. We got Hendon Hooker going to Pitt, a place where I don't know if Hendon won there. He won at home yeah. when we beat Pitt twenty-eight nothing. Yes, but I don't think he's won at Pitt. So that'll it's going to be really good, I think, because Pitt's defensive front is tough. He's a good quarterback. Heupel, great offensive coach. Pitt five and a half point underdogs at home. Yeah, you can go first this time. I have I flip flopped on this one because I I do believe Hooker and that offense are really good, but it's at Pitt. I I took Pitt in this game. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. I think it's not like it's a great home field advantage. They basically sold out one game in the past five years, and it was last Thursday nights because half half of it was full of West Virginia fans. Mm-hmm. But Tennessee fans will travel, yes. so there's going to be a lot of UT fans there. And it's a 3:30 game. I'm taking Pitt. I just think that defensive front is tough, and we've seen Hendon when he gets under pressure. He doesn't always play amazing, so I'll take Pitt to cover. I like UT to win. I like that. Next game, USC at Stanford. We get an early in the year conference matchup between these two. Stanford, eight-and-a-half-point underdogs against Transfer U in USC. Yeah, their whole team has just been brought over from Oklahoma. So Oklahoma at Stanford, basically, is what we're looking <laughs> at here. Yeah, Sunny Oklahoma at Stanford. So I'm going USC. I know – I guess this is a, a rivalry game, you know, quote-unquote, yeah. even though – when Stanford was good, USC stunk. And when USC has been good, Stanford stunk for a long time. So it kind of is, I guess. But Stanford, I don't think, is very still not very good. They've just struggled for so long. And I think USC has all that transfer talent is so good. We'll see how what it turns into. But I think that's enough. I know eight and a half is a decent number of points. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a weird number, right? Yeah, but Stanford certainly doesn't have any advantage at home. I mean, that that's not existent. No, so. not at all. Uh, I'm going to take Stanford, though, only because I would have thought this would be like a 13-point line. But Stanford is one of those teams, when they play Oregon, 
when they play Washington, when they play USC, they are a pain in the ass. And so I'm going to take Stanford to cover. It could be a blowout, but I think Stanford's going to pull the cover somehow. UVA at Illinois. Weird game. Very yes. weird game. Illinois, four-and-a-half-point favorites over UVA and Brennan Armstrong. That is incredible. Um, yeah. The, that doesn't bode well for UVA. Fighting and line eye are, uh, are forced to be reckoned with. And I went with... They should have won last week. Yes, they should have. I'm going with Illinois in this game. And that's not really a hatred of UVA thing. I just think at home and uh, and what's his name on cover three is an uh, Illinois fan. Tom Fernelli, Tom Fernelli yeah. is a big cover. So I'll, I'll root for them just for, for Fernelli because it cracks me up. Yeah, over-under is 57. There should be a lot of points in this game. I'm going to take UVA. That four and a half is just that hook right there. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take UVA. They could win outright, and they really should win outright, but Illinois' defense is decent, and UVA does not have a very good offensive line, so it that's why the line is what it is, but I'll take UVA. UK at Florida. This was a series that Florida dominated forever, but UK has won a couple recently. Uh, yeah, last year they won. So. They won, and then, yeah, yeah, they yeah. broke the streak, I want to say, three years ago, yeah. but last year they won. UF, five-and-a-half-point favorites after their big win against Utah. Yeah, this one's tough because you could have a letdown UF game um, at home, I guess. It's a home game for them. Yep. They should beat UK this year. I think they are a better team. Uh, I went with UF. I don't feel great about it. I think this is kind of weird. And and they have last year to go off of. They're probably still salty about that loss, which, um, you know, people people were pretty pissed about that. So if you'll remember, we had the Drakes on the UK podcast a couple years ago when we played them in basketball. And Richard and Mike came on and we talked about the basketball game, whatever. Mike is huge UK guy. I went to UK. And I asked him, I was like, what's the deal with the suspensions that are going on? Because there's a few suspensions that UK is being very, like, mum on. And he's like, no one's talking about it. We don't know what they are. Doesn't seem like the guys are going to be back for Florida. But I think that's reflected in the line. Okay. So I'm still going to take UK to cover five and a half. I think they lose, but I think they cover because of what you said and UF coming down off that big win. Okay. And last but not least, Baylor at BYU. I tweeted about this game earlier because it kicks at 10-15 Eastern, but it's a ranked matchup. You got Grimes. You got Aranda. It's in Provo. Yeah. Two two different types of church crazy people just going <laughs> at it. It's going to be fantastic. I love watching BYU. Yeah. I think the way they run the ball and the physical nature mm-hmm. – they kicked the crap out of USF, even though it was only a 12-point line, which didn't make sense. Um, just beat this, beat them to smithereens in Tampa. So I like BYU at home, but this is going to be a good game. I'll take BYU to cover as they are three-point favorites. You've almost, you almost convinced me off my Baylor pick, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it because we're almost opposite in every single game this week. We're going to have some big separation on the picks. Um, I'm 6 for 10 like in the first – two weeks you are five for ten in the first two weeks but that is all going to change um likely in this this week i'm going to stick with my baylor pick okay yeah that that's going to be a fun game man this is a good weekend i know a lot of times 
Sometimes week one is better. Sometimes week two is better. But it's been pretty even. No, there's no Notre Dame and Ohio State-like headline. But there's a bunch of ranked matchups, and we should have some fun watching the games this weekend. Our game is 8 p.m. on ACC Network. And I joke that we got the the only two out-of-conference losses from last week are playing the night game on ACC Network. This is why we make no money. Yes, this our network is incredible. Um, yeah, there will be almost no viewership on that, even if it's an eight p.m. game. So, um, yeah, this is. I'll, be, I'll look up what's at eight p.m. But just give your yeah. give your final thoughts while I while I check what else other games are on. Yeah, my final thoughts are clean it up uh, for this game. Let's just if. However the game goes, let's just kind of keep it without as many turnovers and penalties, and I'll feel better about it on that front. I hope the I hope the defense does it again. If they do it this week again, I, I'll feel like we really have something there, and, and it has a lot of potential to be a special season for that side of the ball. Um, and I want to see... Um, I want to see if Keyshawn King, if that was just a you know flash in the pan for one week, or if if he's really he looks like he's bulked up, looks like he's put on some size, uh, he looks bigger. So I want to see if it's for real, and I think I think it may be, and I'm hoping it, it shows up against a a very poor run defense in Boston College. Yeah, I'm hoping that we can chalk up week one to exactly what week one is—a week for mistakes things that can be corrected, things that you don't see the rest of the year. If you remember back to our Liberty and Tennessee games in 2016 when Fuente just came in, we had tons of turnovers, we had penalties, and we had a great season that year. And so I'm hoping it's the same thing. Cincinnati, a playoff team from last year, goes to Arkansas last Saturday. They had 10 penalties, a lot of which were procedural. Mm -hmm. And so – even well-coached teams with coaches that have been there in Luke Fickle have bad week ones. It's it's a tough week for everybody. So that's what I'm hoping for is that that's not going to dictate the rest of the year. As for the other games at night, on Saturday we got Kentucky and Florida is at 7, Arizona State, Oklahoma State at 7.30, and USC and Stanford is also at 7.30. So there's a couple decent games. But nothing like like no marquee matchup at night. Yeah. So we'll see. People will be flipping around. Yeah. People will be jumping into the BCVT game. We're on with the West Coast and the um, Midwest slate, evidently. So that's that's the game. So well, people will watch our entrance at least. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. We'll get the we'll get the entrance bump that we always get, and uh, soon there when there isn't a touchdown for the next two quarters, there might get you know people turning away from it. So that's right. All right. Well, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at two D V T. Send us an email at studyvt at gmail.com. We actually got a very nice email from some listeners, Charlie and Pam, to uh, send us some beer. Mm-hmm. And so we will always take always take beer donations. If you want to send us our way, just uh, email us, and I, I'll get you the address. You can also check us out on Instagram. It's 2DVT. And then, of course, our website is 2DVT.com, where you can stream every podcast Check out the merch page. Check out all of the beers that we've had on the podcast over the years. And until next time, when we are hopefully celebrating our first win of the Brent Pry era, go Hokies. 